Bernie Sanders got screwed by the rules because they had this huge base of support amongst liberal NPPs, but they had the burden of going out and having to get those people to ask for a second ballot. So your lawsuit, do you have standing on your lawsuit just as a voter? They've lost at trial, lost at appellate, and it's now, they haven't got, even been able to get an evidentiary hearing. If you got to an evidentiary, you win this case. The court literally doesn't understand what's in front of them. Even the Secretary of State lawyers don't understand what's in front of them. So on what grounds are you losing the case? Because... That's what I do. I lose cases. cases. (laughs) The statements expressed in the following program are those of the speaker. They do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of the sponsor, the host, and or Olas Media. Olas Media. You're listening to the Lawyer in Blue Jeans podcast. Welcome to the Lawyer in Blue Jeans podcast. <laughs> uh, my name is Justin Isaac. I'm joined by Jeff Isaac, the Lawyer in Blue Jeans, by Chad Peace and Steve Peace. Uh, we are talking local, I guess, voting politics, voting rights, and uh, local lawsuits being filed. Chad, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about the, the lawsuit that we were just talking about? Oh, we're jumping right into that. Well, why not? Why wait? This uh, this issue comes up every four years in the state of California, which nationally champions itself to be the great protector of voting rights. And uh, the case that we filed on behalf of the Independent Voter Project, authored California's nonpartisan primary uh, almost 15 years ago now, is, is, is relatively simple but also complex, is that we have a presidential primary every year that the Democratic Party and the Republican Party choose their nominee for who's going to represent us. And it looks like it's shaken out to be that two-sided debate again today where everybody's super happy about the candidates on both sides. But the issue in California is that you have ballots for Democratic voters. You have ballots for Republican voters. And with automatic uh, uh, absentee balloting, Democratic and Republican voters are getting ballots that have all the races and then the candidates they can choose for, for president. But when it comes to independent voters, which are now 6 million independent voters in the state of California, they're literally delivered a ballot unless they jump through a bunch of hoops. They're literally delivered a ballot that has candidates for every single race and then for presidents, a blank box. Right. So our lawsuit is saying. Well, why don't you do this before you go further on that? I think it's important to talk about what the definition of, of the way people can vote is as, as far as open primaries versus closed and all that. I think that's important. Yeah, yeah it's important. It's in it, it, it is esoteric and confusing. Kind of the point of our lawsuit is voting should be pretty easy, easy and yeah. it shouldn't be esoteric and confusing to voters. But open an open primary in a lot of states, the, the definition would be it's open. The door is open. Anybody can walk in it. There's no sign that says only walk in here if you're a Republican and, or a Democrat. And you can cross over. You can, you're not stuck, right? In a, in a fully open primary, right, you can walk in through any door you want, right? You could now, vote. there's different iterations. Like a semi-closed primary means it's open, but if you're a member of another party, you can't go in there. Then you have closed primaries. The door's shut. Unless you're a member of that party, you can't go through that door. You have semi-closed primaries, which is the way California conducts its presidential primary. The door is shut, semi-closed, if, unless the party has said, you know what, you can go ahead and open the door for these independent The party meaning the Democratic Party. The Democratic or Republican Party. So when it comes to California, we actually don't know who's going to let the voters vote until, you know, four or five months before the election. 
because the parties don't have to s- decide whether to allow voters to participate in their primary until four or five months before the election. We go based on historical record that we assume the Democratic Party is going to allow NPP voters to participate. The Republicans won't. The Libertarian Party will. Why don't you yeah. give a definition yeah. of NPP, please? NPP it just means no party preference. It's okay. the the colloquial term is independent voter, right? Which which is a, a growing segment of, of of all populations in every state, certainly in California. In California, there are almost six million. Uh, I. They're they're over they're floating around Republican registration, despite the fact that if you wanted to vote in the Republican primary, you'd have to register as a Republican voter. States like New Jersey, they're fifty percent of the vote, and they can't vote at all in the primary. So that's insane. Yeah. So that's so crazy to think about that. You it, this is a fundamental part of the voting process. Yet states and well, I guess the the two party system is really the ones who set the tone and made. The legislation, the laws this way, right? Well, I think uh, this is historically, right? It, it was all, over a hundred years ago, really, during the grass, you know, I'm using the term as it originated, the great progressive era is when they brought primary elections into the public process. Mm-hmm. Over the last hundred years, my, my father, Steve Peace, can can chime in about some of the, the ways things have changed, including relatively recently is that they brought the party nomination process into the public process so that it was more transparent, so that voters had a say, and they did, and that the people didn't think, these nominees are just getting selected back in smoke-filled rooms, right? Mm-hmm. Skip forward to today, yeah, we have an election process, but I think the average voter would be like, those candidates, those winners were actually determined by somebody else, and I'm just going out here to symbolically vote. Our lawsuit's saying, in the case of no party preference, independent voters, they're not only can't can't come out and vote, right? The rules are preventing them from doing so. So who are the who are the losers on that? Uh, Steve Peace, uh, I know you were part of the legislation involved in a lot of this in in your uh, time in Sacramento. What? How does this affect, and who does it affect people? Well, anybody who is an NPP voter. Uh, right now, assuming the parties make the same decisions they've historically made, only gets the opportunity to participate in either the Democratic or the Libertarian presidential primary. But even to do that, they have to select a ballot. They have to they get a ballot in the mail, but that ballot will be wrong if they want it, and they have to go say, hey, send me a second ballot. Ironically, I'm the author of the legislation in the year 2000, SB 28, that created that choice. But in the year 2000, we had partisan primaries. And they, in fact, had just been restored. We had a brief moment where we had blanket open primaries. And the Supreme Court and Democratic Party v. Jones overturned that, saying that the political parties have what's referred to as a private right of association, meaning they get to determine the rules of who gets to vote. So we now have a circumstance in which, and then, then you, you fast forward 10 more years later, in 2010, Proposition 15 is passed a constitutional amendment in California creating the uh, nonpartisan primary system we operate on today and everything except the presidential primary. Now, why, why would we have done it that way? Why does the Constitution simply say we'll have nonpartisan primaries, presidential primaries? Well, we can't because pre- presidential primaries are different. You're not actually electing someone. It's, all, it's really just a, a big poll. 
and the parties are not obligated to pay attention to the poll. They adopt their rules after the election occurs. And they, they if they wanted to, they could say, we're going to do the opposite of whatever the voters vote for. They can literally say anything they want to say. So the the but the election's a public election paid for with public tax dollars. So the state puts into statute the rules. In the case of the Democratic I and Ross Johnson, Ross Johnson was a, since passed away, but he was a Republican member of the legislature. I, as a Democrat, Ross as a Republican, wrote the statutory uh, um, uh, language that was put into effect after that court ruling, uh, throwing out our old blank primary. And we said, okay, if a party decides to allow a nonpartisan voter to vote in their primary, we're going to make we're going to put provisions that say they have to say to the registrar voters send me one of those democratic ballots now behind the scenes that was because that's what the democratic party wanted they wanted to allow voters but they wanted to make sure they collected it even in the analysis of the bill there was a suggestion in the announcement that this might be a problem they said what about absentee ballots it's right in the analysis right there we purposely didn't put any specific language as to that we left it up to the secretary of state to solve that problem because at the time absentee ballots were two less than two percent of the total amount of people voting it wasn't that big a problem we said secretary of state you can you can deal with that regulatory advice. And we also purposely kept the language broad to give the Secretary of State a, a lot of flexibility because we knew the world changes. So how has the world changed since then? My language that I wrote now has the discriminatory consequence of, di of discriminating against younger voters, black voters, Latino voters, Asian voters. Why? Because in each of those categories, they are disproportionately represented as NPPs in particular younger voters. So we go from a world in which we used to have older, high propensity voters who got these absentee permanent ballots from a world in which they're overwhelmingly low propensity voters. Now you add another change, which is ballot harvesting. We've now legalized ballot harvesting in California. So do you think- Why don't that, you define that real yeah. quick? That's where, people, people. that's where people get paid to go out and collect ballots and bring them to the uh, registrar voters in big bundles or drop them in the mail. So, and that's legal. It's legal. Yeah. Political operations by candidates or by parties or by labor unions or anybody else, a, a business could do it. They go out and they do that. Now, if you're part of the partisan in-power infrastructure, you think you're going to go out and collect ballots from NPPs? You're going to ignore those people. They're, un they're, they're unreliable. You don't know what, they do, what they're going to do. Now, look, I supported Hillary Clinton in the primary election when Bernie Sanders was challenger. And, but if any of us who were with Hillary Clinton, if we're truthful, we gotta tell the public the truth. The Bernie Sanders campaign was devastated, was wiped out by this provision of law because it was so complicated and so difficult for them to reach out to the large number of younger voters who were eligible to participate in the Democratic primary but had to get a second ballot. And by the time the Sanders campaign got to California, had to think about, okay, what are the rules in California? We've been in North Carolina, we've been in Hampshire, we know all the rules there and there's a different set of rules. And they say, wow, look at this rule. We've never seen this before. They, they may very well have won the California primary if the rules hadn't been rigged and they are rigged. So what you're saying in blue jeans talk, as we'd like to coin it, it's an undue burden. Is it, would that be fair? If, if a southern state adopted these exact rules, the ACLU would be claiming that this was a conscious effort at voter suppression. 
That's how how egregious. So, but it's an extra burden of right. the of the Correct. the citizen right. to actually right. have to go through hoops that the others do that not the have to go. Don't. But so it's discrimination. And, but just Correct. to be clear, this is not purposeful. This is just the actual net result as uh, as Correct. being used by the party. I would say and, that the the inability to fix or the inaction yeah. to fix a known problem that is nationally recognized, mm-hmm. now that has become right. purposeful. Gotcha. The, the right? political operatives know exactly what they're doing. Yeah. Is the court <laughs> who looks at this, they don't, you know, they've never gotten to the point of an evidentiary hearing to actually look at the issues I'm laying out. You take a piece of statute that made perfect sense when it was passed in the year 2000 and did not have a discriminatory impact. And as the author of that statute, you can imagine the angst I have in seeing statute I wrote having the most discriminatory effect in the, in the, amongst the, the, the most, what I would argue, the most important group of voters, younger voters, who are acclimating to the process, and then you throw them into the, a system that they, they find to be uh, difficult to get over those hurdles, as you described. So what do you think happens the next time they go out to vote? They just don't do it. Right. They just get they get discouraged and they quit and they get cynical about the system. <clears throat> and, and then we wonder, you know, why? And does the Secretary of State's office understand? What you know, you're not ta- you're talking about primaries now. You're not talking president, about the general election. presidential primaries. Right. But again, I want to make sure we distinguish that. It's right. not right. it's not the general election where that doesn't come into Correct. play. Correct. Right. Correct. It's, it's, it's Correct. primaries where Correct. they're picking Correct. theoretically nominees. Correct. And it's shutting and, out. And, and look, understand that under Democratic v. Jones, if we if the court rules properly, ultimately, and says, "Hey, look, this is clearly under unconstitutional under California's open primary uh, thing," and it's also in violation of a variety of federal r- rules, the political parties would have the perfect right to then say, "Okay, they that's could rewrite. Fine. They could rewrite their rules, right? And under their rules, they could say, "We're going to have two classes of voters." Now, nobody's ever litigated that. <laughs> and I don't right? think I don't think right? they'll stand to scrutiny, but exactly. Yeah. And they don't and that's part of what the Democrats, my Democratic Party, I'm a lifelong Democrat, but let's just tell the truth here. The Democratic Party wants the legislature to do its dirty work and to cover up for the fact that they are protecting voters and a, a structure inside the Democratic Party that is embedded in terms of the leadership. They don't want to lose control of the party to combatants on the other side. Now, I've typically been closer to those people that are making that that argument. The irony is I'm a guy, like I said, I was not with Bernie Sanders. I was with Hillary Clinton. But any person who was on the Clinton side who also enjoyed the benefit of the support of the Democratic Party infrastructure at the time, right, who tries to tell you that they didn't knowingly allow and, and rejoice in these barriers that, 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 that made it difficult for the Sanders campaign. It's simply not telling you so the how truth. You, how, now, you're, you, you've not been successful, right, Chad, in, in court. They've, but they've literally, what, summary judgment you? Or is that, what did they do on, on Well, yeah, we've still been dismissed on summary judgment. Like a, any good attorney, I redefine success as we continue to get dismissed, right? <laughs> yeah. um, but, but no, I mean, it's all been ruled on a matter of law right now. In the case that my father keeps referring to, Democratic Party v. Jones, is a matter of law, the Supreme Court said political parties have a private right of association and therefore the state can't have rules that force the party to associate themselves with other voters like NPP voters right but, 
sorry to jump in on that too since we are funding it publicly wouldn't it make sense that the state would have some authority so here this is exactly to my point we're asking a different question the questions that came to democratic party v jones and if you look at the the nader case which was a similar case out of connecticut which they used to dismiss our case have always asked a question does this independent npp voter have a right to participate in the democratic party's primary or the republican party's primary Mm -hmm. to the best of our knowledge we are the first people to ever ask the court We're not asking to vote in their primaries. We're saying a more fundamental question. The state has set up this process. They pay for this process. They administer this process. Doesn't the state have a a responsibility to allow an avenue of participation for the NPP and the independent voter, right? It's a broader question. Mm -hmm. So what's the state role? So to your point, we've been dismissed on summary judgment because they're applying a question that's relevant but it's not on point. Pl- on if, point. If, if you, it's interesting. As a non-lawyer, I go and I read the brief submitted by the Secretary of State, and I read the court decision and then the appellate court decisions, and the plaintiffs ask, is the sky blue? The Secretary of State's lawyers say, the sky is not green, Your Honor. <laughs> and the court says, you're right, the sky is not green. They literally, neither the court nor the Secretary of State's attorneys, even remotely get close to even discussing the question that's asked. Okay, so it's a, it sounds like an equal protection issue, right? Is right. that part that of it? That is one of the claims, yeah. Okay. Uh, I have been discussing over the years on radio and, and so forth uh, the ACLU. They usually fight these battles. Right. Uh, whether you're right or left, it doesn't matter. They fight for, you know, the Constitution and, and for people to have their say. That's civil, really the bottom civil line here. Yeah. So so where's the ACLU in this in this matter? Have you gone to them? Have you have they uh, wanted to get involved at all? Um, I mean, it seems like people ha- love to hate them. I, I get that. And I, I'm one that says these guys are really important. I, I've always said that. Uh, so where are they? Have you reached out to them? Have they involved themselves? Where are they? Do you want to? Yeah. I mean, we we had spoken with some local rep- representatives, and we filed our our issue setting case back in 2015 in New Jersey. And at that time, I had some conversations with folks from the ACLU, and from and really the response hasn't been, oh, we don't disagree, we disagree with that or this is is you know their voting the people they've put on voting rights are tasked with a set of lawsuits around voting rights, a lot of it voter ID related and that stuff. And, and we're, we're not making any judgments on the merits on those cases, but that's where their attention is. Mm-hmm. This is so outside mm-hmm. of yeah. me, where the focus me, is. This is, ironically, it's so simple that it gets... I don't think... They obfuscate 90, it. 90%, it sounds like it's obfuscated. Look, at 90% of the people on the periphery of the discussion or even in the discussion, including the court and the Secretary of State's office, literally, they have no intention to have the deleterious results I've just outlined. They, and you find this a lot as a legislator. The, and with all due respect, you lawyers have bigger problem with this than Mm non-lawyers. Lawyers tend to zero in on trees and often miss the forest. 
And it's and it is in part because they're trained to be focused on case-based precedent, right? What we've seen here is not is is very simple. I wrote a law creating a tree. In the t more than a decade since I wrote that law and participated in negotiations with representatives of the Democratic and Republican parties and a variety of the other folks, including the ACLU, as a matter of fact, the entire forest changed. We had passed a constitutional amendment changing the way people vote in all other elections. We created a 100% mail ballot dynamic. We legalized ballot harvesting. Nothing about the basic tr forest that the trees live in is the same as it was when I wrote the bill. And that's why I made reference to that simple little sentence in the bill analysis. The bill analysis says flat out, hey guys, look at this. This system won't work very well for permanent absentee ballots. Maybe you should do something proscriptive about permanent absentee ballots. We didn't because they were such a small part of the overall element of it. But now, you the, didn't put any provisions in there that like the what if issue. We did the opposite. We said, hey, Secretary <clears throat> of State, we're not going to do anything real specific here because you can adjust as times change. And they it's, haven't. And they haven't. And that's the problem. And I think they genuinely don't, don't think. Now, there's a certain amount. Is it they don't understand or they want to keep going the status quo? I, I think yeah. some people genuinely don't understand and some people choose to appear to not understand. Okay, fair enough. I think that, well, I guess once we get to this point now where we have this huge group of independent voters, uh, Chad, you said six million, six million, which is almost equal to the registered Republicans in the state. Correct. And so as a percentage of total voters, uh, do you know what that is? You know, it's 25 percent of the electorate. Something like that. That has to make this case. Uh, how many more people are being disenfranchised now, which you said are disproportionately well, minority? And, th and that goes to the broader question. There's actually two distinct components to this lawsuit. I, of course, tend to be emotionally fixated on, I don't want to be the guy mm -hmm. that is the author of languages amongst the most discriminatory language in the current environment in the entire United States. It has the result of suppressing more votes than probably any other piece of statute in the entire country. Yeah. All right. So I feel strongly about that. But there's also a broader question here, which, go, which you go to, is that once you decide you're going to have a publicly financed primary, which all of us as voters finance, irrespective of whether we are registered in a party, not registered in a party, or not registered at all, do we have an obligation to allow voters who choose not to join a political party to be able to express their preference? The court, interestingly enough, argues, well, no, because that would be deceptive to the voter because it would be just expressive that, that there'd be no consequence, no value to the vote. Well, that belies a simple fact that the court doesn't understand that every single person who votes, whether they're a member of a party or not in a presidential party, is doing an expressive vote with no legal consequence. If you're a member of the Republican Party and you vote for Mitt Romney and Mitt Romney wins the Republican primary, there's nothing that compels the delegates that go to a convention to vote for Mitt Romney, not even the delegates in California, let alone the entire party nationwide. So, sorry, if I can jump in, because you said the case um, Democrat... Democrat, Democrat B. Party, Party B. Jones. Okay. Okay. So if they said at that point that the, the parties have the right to make their own rules and the rules are arbitrary, 
Because that to me right. says that if, if someone is voted in, if someone wins the vote and they still have the, they could still in theory choose not to elect. Uh, That's exactly that right. So is so, that not arbitrary? So, where, where the rules don't so, even matter. So well, let's take, here's one of those From classic the examples. Size, no, 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 let me, let me go. This is, cause this is, I always found this to be the most difficult part of legislating. Mm -hmm. So the seminars that we do are really important to most people because they need to know how to wrestle control back from the government. It's not just for rich people. Well, you've got to come to these seminars because right now people don't realize that by not doing that, you are naked. Often, in order to understand the choices, mm -hmm. you have to skip over, get skip all the way to the remedies. Yeah. Right. If you get bogged down in just debating over the problems, everybody has their view. They're looking at their part of the elephant. And if you don't understand what the limits are with respect to your remedies, it, it, it you're you're in a perpetual conversation. Your question goes right to that. And I think this is the part the court's missing and the reason why you need an evidentiary hearing. You can't get to discussing remedies if you don't get to an evidentiary hearing, right? And there's a third element of obligation under the law that none of us have discussed. That is whenever, no matter what subject you're speaking to, if you're trying to remedy a problem, you have a legal obligation to remedy it in the least restrictive, restrictive way. You, you have to do your best not to cause other problems while you're solving this problem. Mm -hmm. The easiest way to understand the challenge for the Secretary of State's office as it relates to open primaries and Democratic Party v. Jones is what's the least restrictive way to meet the obligation to respect the, the political party's right of private association as articulated under Democratic Party v. Jones. And, it, and there are a number of less restrictive ways to respect the right of the parties without eliminating the ability of independent voters to have the right to vote in the presidential primary. I'll give you the easiest one. Color code all the ballots. Then let the parties count who they want to count and not count who they don't want to count. It's, it's simple. Everybody gets to vote. If the Democratic Party doesn't want to count NPP ballots, they don't. If the Republican Party only wants to count left-handed ballots, then we'll have to color code left-handed ballots. You, as long as you know the rules and the distinctions of all the parties, it's easy to color code the ballots. And, so, and there, there are other remedies. All of them are least, are less difficult, less expensive, less complicated, less confusing than implementing the statute I wrote. So, so it seems to me that we've got a bigger problem than that. I, I think I the issue becomes. Uh, not the new, I don't want to call this a nuance, but I mean, in a way it is, uh, it sounds like the whole system is messed up. I mean, the whole system of the Democratic-Republican primaries and the arbitrariness of picking what and choosing what, I mean, it, it almost goes to the general uh, system that we have in our country with the Electoral College. It seems to me that the system is just broken. Uh, I mean, again, as just somebody who's not political in nature, I mean, you've been, you know, you may not be a lawyer, but obviously you've got a significant touch on, on this well, stuff way more than I do. So, so let's look at that. The question then, system, what is the system? The system starts with a bunch of laws, and then it has a bunch of regulations, and then it has a bunch of Im human beings implementing the regulations attempting to implement the laws. In this well, case— Well, I think you start with the law, but go ahead. Right. You start, exactly. That's about what I was going to say. In this case— The pillar. We wrote a law— we purposely were not 
prescriptive about the law because we know the world will change. We got a, subsequently had a constitutional minute going from a partisan system to a nonpartisan system. And the Secretary of State's office under two successive Secretary of States has failed to implement the law. They don't need any statutory change. Everything I just described, color coding the ballots, for example, was actually in SB 100, a bill passed just prior to SB 28, authored by uh, then Senator Burton. And that actually allows for the Secretary of State and actually dictates that the Secretary of State uh, look at color coding for clarity in terms of ballots. The, the Secretary of State can remedy this tomorrow. It doesn't require statute. It's simply, and what we're trying to do, in, in what I'm trying to do in my letter is to argue on my specific point that, hey, look, at least fix this. If you're not going to fix it for the NPP question, to your point of broader issue, then at least go fix the, 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 the ridiculous implementation of a, of a statutory paradigm written at, at, a, at a totally different time and has the opposite result. What, 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 what so let's, let's talk about where you're at now, uh, because, again, this is all important information, I think, for every citizen, in, and certainly in the state of California. But you've lost every round in court, all right, understandably for reasons that you've enumerated. Where, what are you doing now? You, you mentioned uh, off-air that you were in the process of uh, writing a letter. Would that be a petition to whom? Well, no, he, they have the, the, the lit original litigants are appealing the appellate court decision at the state Supreme Court. That appeal is at the court. A number of organizations have filed amicus letters mm -hmm. supporting that petition. I'm writing a letter. I've written a letter to the California to Supreme the Court. California Supreme Court as the author of SB twenty independent of as the, an amicus, un, un, an amicus letter. Correct. It's an amicus un, letter, right? So the where are we at? We've you know lost at the at the district level. Okay, got an appeal. The appellate court dismissed on summary judgment. We just filed our writ to the California Supreme Court. The petition letter saying, "Here's novel issues. Here's all the reasons why the, the Supreme Court should consider this case." That's where we're at. And they have not taken it up right. yet. They haven't made a decision. We've got, you know, some national organizations, open primaries, fair vote. Um, uh, former Congressman Tom Campbell filed a letter in support. And obviously, my father um, filed a letter in support. As, which as, which so, is significant because I, I if it comes down to anybody, the author with intent would be the author of the legislation. I mean, obviously, that's that's right. one, one thing. I, one thing I don't mention in in my letter, but which is there in the public record. Um, the constitutional amendment passed by the voters subsequently, I literally physically drafted. The legislature put it on the ballot. I wrote the words. So I am both the author of the state's constitutional requirements, which I believe, to your point of systemic uh, reform, already fixed legally the problem, which is the, the, the reason why we're suing. So. You know, I Chad, I assume if you lose at the state, what do you do? If, assuming we, you you lose at the state, you know, we have to see what happens here. But it's important to understand we're not even right now. We're not at the stage of saying S Supreme Court rule rule agree with us. Yeah, our whole case is Just let have us have an evidentiary hearing. Yeah. We may ultimately still lose, but we can't even have the conversation we've had here today in court because they're taking a law that's relevant but not on point to say. It's not even worth a conversation. Wait, but for, uh, for a summary judgment to be in effect, there's got to be some informational 
background or basis that the court has ev- yeah. evoked. I it, mean, there is evidence and that was my in point. front of them. There but, has to be. Right. But, but if you read the court cases, it, the best way to understand how the court got to where it's at is to read the defense briefs prepared by the lawyers in the Secretary of State's office. Any reasonable person, law professor, clerk, (laughs) you know, anybody reading these documents would read the documents submitted by the plaintiff, read the documents submitted by the lawyers of the Secretary of State, and say these are two different cases. They, you know, I want to see the one. They, they, and I get it. I've been, I've lived in that space, and what happens is that the lawyers. All the lawyers that work for the state, this is all coming out of the attorney general's office, right? They practice in a very narrow space. Some guys do franchise tax board work. Some guys do elections work. Some of that. And, and they're inside the orbit of the narratives and the decisions that have been made in the past. This argument that's being made is a case of first impression. Mm. It is brand new okay, law. They, they, they just aren't thinking through it. It's just well, that simple, which is why you've got to get to an evidentiary hearing to help them understand right. what the question is. It's called laziness. It's called uh, I don't want to get involved. I mean, that we see I that. I think it's more that I don't want to get involved than laziness is, right? Well, Especially com- I think if, it's if you're a district-level judge or even an appellate judge. I mean, this, this has a substantial consequence on the political discussions and saying, hey, you know, we've got to kick this up higher. This I'll, I'll make some comments that I probably shouldn't make. I'm, I'm uh, Senator Padilla, who was previously the Secretary of State, was a close friend. I understood why he didn't want to get into it, because he was angling to be appointed to be a United States Senator, and the National Democratic Party really doesn't want right. to have this dealt with. I am a little surprised that my other, even closer friend, now Secretary of State Shirley Weber, uh, hasn't waited, but she hasn't personally waited. I think. If the Secretary of State was personally engaged in, un- in seeing this and understood what her lawyers are arguing and understood what the consequences in her community and her constituency are, she'd change it in a hot second. Well, that sounds like a political decision. It's a – the Secretary of State's office, like many of our areas, are run more by the bureaucrats than by the – you know, and, and they sort of – they're a perpetual motion machine. And, and until – and, 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 and so it's a, it's a political bias. So, so to your point, you said, well, what are you going to do next? Right. The, you know, I don't know what the litigants are going to do, and I don't know what, you know, they, they live in their space. I, re, I, you know, I mo- fairly recently came to the conclusion I need to step up. I haven't said anything publicly, in part because these people making these egregious decisions or non-decisions are my friends. Yeah. They're, all, they're all people I know very well. And it's I kept thinking they were gonna say, "Hey, wait a minute, this is just wrong. It's ethically wrong, it's not legally wrong." And I, and so the, the the question then is, what happens next? You asked at the point of this. Well, you're going out and doing publicity. We haven't. We haven't because we're being respectful to give the opportunity to the people in the process to fix it. Sounds like you haven't. Uh, you you've already exhausted uh, enough for maybe the public. Or at least certain uh, segments. We we will be. be I will at least on a personal level become more vocal, less respectful, 
and well, and, I think you can be vocal margin. and respectful at the same time. Well, I'm going to respectfully. I, I will tell you what I'm going to do. Once once we get a court decision, I'm going to respectfully go to my to, to the legislature and say, well, the court apparently thinks it's okay to have a statutory um, uh, regime that 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 clearly results in voter suppression, and I'm going to ask the legislature to amend the statute. And to expressly direct the Secretary of State to do what the Secretary of State should be doing. Got it. I was actually going to ask that question too because you said that the Secretary of State could easily remedy this, fix this tomorrow. And, and why not? What is it? A writ of mandamus compelling? Is that not an option or some kind of? Uh, That's essentially what our lawsuit is is is, okay, is asking for. But it, say right? that doesn't even work. What about is it even possible to put something on the ballot where people can vote on a change? If you have if you have fifteen million dollars, you you, yeah, you can. Yeah. So it, you know, I would I would love some folks that are billionaires to look at these kind of issues and say, look, you're sitting here spending twenty million dollars to fix this little thing. Here's yeah. the thing that's fundamental well, that, that, to that's our why, market. as I mentioned to Steve, the public pressure and you know that better than anybody i mean being a, a member of the the legislature uh may or may not have something to do with that in right. other words, well, it it, sometimes it's time you can be respectful all you want yeah. but I, I like to think i'm respectful in what i have done over the years on radio and tv but i at the same time if it's wrong, it's wrong. Well, I they, think what he's saying is not. It, it's more like the courtesy is being extended. I understand. And the courtesy is going to go away pretty soon because they're not extending any courtesy. And back. look, it's harder and harder to have public um, <coughs> input. I, I don't like the word pressure input into the political process. And this would be true if it were a predominantly Republican legislature or as much as it is a predominantly Democratic legislature. Anytime you have what in effect is a one party state. It's difficult to have a competitive intellectual conversation. Wouldn't and, that be the issue, though? You just mentioned it. I mean, we are in effect a one-party state, but more and more, and significantly so, I think, in today's world of uh, the nationwide, if not California, it's becoming more than that. The party system is under major scrutiny, with independence growing for good reason, so, hugely. <laughs> well, that's part of why you can, you'll see, look at the Republican Party still has not moved. All of us believe that by now the Republicans would have figured out that it's just bad business to not let independents vote in your party. And yet they continue right. to, to, to shrink themselves. They by right. yeah. this, is, this is literally like being in business and, and telling two-thirds of the electorate, I don't want to sell you hamburgers, right? And, and I get it. I understand that inside there, they worry about what they view to be an intellectual purity of their process. But we live in a system that is not a parliamentary system that rewards uh, narrow-casted political parties. The, the evolution of the, what we call a two-party system was accidental. It wasn't the intention of the framers of the Constitution. They had hoped to avoid what they called factions from evolving at all. That didn't happen. But the difference between American political parties is they're very – to be effective over time, they have to have very large tents. And the coalition building occurs in the formation of the parties. And kind of what's happened, to your point, as the, the way we communicate uh, changes and the hyperbole that is endemic to our means of communication commercially, politically, socially, and otherwise permeates the system, that two-party system gets the whole concept of two big tents, an occasional movement 
gets has been broken down and 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 kind of made obsolete by virtue of the hostile nature of the public communications and so it is it's a bigger 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 problem and um it, it's a challenge for all of us it's the reason why when i left the legislature the only political thing i continued to participate in was the uh, elimination of our partisan primaries and that is the single most important thing we can do in this country. It can never be effective until we get to a critical mass where most states have nonpartisan primaries. What, what would be the effect, uh, and I know we're starting to run out of time yeah, here, but what, what's the effect of, of the f- fact that the independents, quote-unquote, air quotes, um, are, are, on this, are, are significantly going up? In other words, there's a huge rise is there a critical mass at that stage that that will dominate? And I don't know that the independents are going to outweigh only, the Democrats. But. Only, only when there is enough systemic change. And that's why uh, Chad's organization is part of national organizations that are changing the systems in states throughout the country. Alaska just adopted top uh, top five or top four uh, um, uh, ranked choice open primaries. We're um, th- th- you will see similar efforts here in San Diego for the city, uh, the city of San Diego, and, and others. And that's a whole dynamic to try and bring together the two big reform movements in the nation: are ranked choice and open primary. Okay. And it's a marriage of those two things. And if we can keep the reform community together. Uh, the the critical mass gets to the numbers where we can flip enough states eventually that eventually we could get there but that yeah. doesn't happen overnight yeah. but it. i think i think we go from 10 years ago we had these conversations i used the term esoteric earlier is five people talking about this in a corner right mm-hmm. and it seems still there's a long ways to go but there are organizations i'm leaving monday morning to go to a two-day board meeting with organizations that this is the issue that they focus on um, do you say what's next after this lawsuit? We got into it. We filed a, our original issue setting case in New Jersey almost 10 years ago now. I can't believe it's been that long. But take New Jersey, where the independents, they do outnumber the Democrats and the Republicans. They're 47% of the electorate. And our argument is by law, they can't participate at the first integral stage of the election process because they've exercised their First Amendment right not to join a private organization, right? So we're sitting at a, a, a writ of certiorari to the United States Supreme Court there. Right now, we just filed our writ petition to ask the California Supreme Court. It's a 30-year. What's next is, well, maybe it's going to be seven cases. Maybe it's 10 cases. Maybe it's 20 years. Maybe it's 40. But at some point, we know right. a common sense. You can sit down. You don't have to be an attorney. This is discriminatory. This is not. I think it, it does keep going to that word critical mass. Well, I mean, right. it's just a matter of. Unfortunately, it's way too slow for yeah, too many people. Yeah. And, and look, for, as the non-lawyer trying to pretend to be a lawyer on a regular <laughs> basis, my my dream is to look right into the eyes of that Democratic Party v. Jones decision, and say and go, look, your argument here is that a private right of association gives these political parties the right to dictate the terms of their voting, right? Well, if and I agree with that, but if a political party, an organization, the Lions Club, whoever it may be, they only get the private right association as a derivative of each individual's private right. Mm. And if we are going to penalize the individuals who exercise their private right of association by not association with a political party, and that has the consequences they can't vote, 
under Democratic Party v. Jones, you can't do that to individual citizens. Right. The compelling argument is, at the end of the day, do you have a right to vote because you're a citizen of the United States or not? Bingo. Sounds... Uh, that's, that's actually a pretty good thing to end on, I'd say. <laughs> you're right. I think... No, I wish you all the luck, both of you guys. I really do. I think that uh, it just... Sometimes things are so common sense that people lose it in the, like you say, the forest. I mean, it's just, for many reasons, and some intentional, I would suspect as well. So, yeah. Chad, Steve, how can people get involved if they actually are, are wanting to? Can they donate? Can they support? Can they write letters? What do they do? I mean, all of the above, but go to independentvoterproject.org and you can see what we're doing here in, in San Diego. We have a reform we're working on, this legal case. Obviously, donations are more than welcome. It's, uh, it's not an easy easy task, and uh, believe it or not, there's not an incredible amount of dollars that are pouring into these types of uh, lawsuits and reforms. Um, and you know, yeah, let your let your council member know. Let your, let your legislator know. Say, hey, that the stuff the Independent Voter Project's working on, I agree with it. I think you should make that a priority. We have a lot of legislators that do agree with us, that, that want to see our success, and they understand we're not anti-party, we're not anti-politician, we're for a better process. And so the more people that can stand up and say, you know what, I agree with that too, and my legislator should do it, that's how you get to the critical mass is by saying, look, it's it, it's safe to be uh, supportive of these issues because because yeah. they're right. Yeah, well, I think I think it comes down to the simplicity of this. Even though it can be very complicated in the in the rough here, is is should more people be able to vote or less people? I mean, it's just exactly that, right, right. Yeah, exactly it just right. comes down to that. And, and how can anybody <laughs> in this country, let alone the state, argue that oh, the fewer the better? That makes that's I mean, democracy. The, the, the ultimate <laughs> irony of my party having the broad argument that we should not have barriers to voting and then secretly using yep. the government all the to same, create a barrier <laughs> of voting for just a select group of people. And let's be clear, it, the, why do they want to have that barrier? They're afraid of them. These are young voters. They're unpredictable. Yep. And power. They don't know where they're yeah. going to go. They don't right? want to lose their power. And yeah. look, at I, I'm not a person that necessarily – Philosophically, it has nothing to do with me supporting one of those group of voters or another group of voters. I'm just on principle. Right. If you want democracy to work, it has to be fair, open, and competitive. Yep. I'm 100% in on that. Well, that was about 45 minutes. I went pretty quick. <laughs> uh, Steve, Chad, thank you very much for joining us. A lot of great information here, um, and hopefully we get some people involved, and hopefully we keep going and maybe win maybe get an evidentiary hearing that would be a good that start, would be right? a victory yeah. we're not asking for much <laughs> <laughs> just a fair hearing that's something that sometimes people don't get uh well thank you everyone for joining us this has been the lawyer in blue jeans podcast and we'll see you next time take a break from the news and join us at lawyer in blue jeans if you're curious about the latest wacky cases or have a specific legal inquiry drop us an email at justin at lawyerandbluejeans.com. Follow us and subscribe to stay up to date with our latest episodes. This episode was produced by Olas Media Podcast Network in San Diego, California, with Elia Ramos as Creative Director, Jessica Garcia as Project Manager, JC Polk as Executive Producer, Lina Alvarez as Associate Producer, and Chad Pease as President and Co-Founder. Olas Media. So the seminars that we do are really important to most people because they need to know how to wrestle control back from the government. It's not just for rich people. Well, you've got to come to these seminars because right now people don't realize that by not doing that, you are naked. <laughs>